0: I'm Eli Counterman. I'm a student at the University of Utah.
1: Hi, my name's Pambi Bahia, and I am your host for Biology in Numbers. Thank you so much for joining us today, Eli. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing pretty well. Excited for this recording and to see what it has in store.
1: Yeah, we're very pleased to have you here. So, as you say, you're an undergraduate student and you're at the University of Utah. Now, I don't know how many people do research at undergraduate these days, but can you tell us what inspired you to go into research and why the field that you did?
0: Yeah, I think that really the reason why I wanted to go into research was because I wanted a way to use my coursework before actually having a degree and like getting a job in a career. And research seemed like a great and awesome way to start honing my skills for the workforce and then actually use the subject matter while I was still in school. Uh, not to mention, I needed a way to pay my bills, and it was oh either this God. or the fast food industry. <laughs> so <laughs> I specifically decided like research with medication non-adherence, because although I'm a math major, I'm currently pursuing medical school, and so I was looking for a way to apply mathematics to an important medical problem, and this seemed like a great option and a great topic that I was interested in.
1: Yeah. So we have a potentially kind of sneaky question for you, which is, this is a podcast about math biology, right? And most Mm. people have some bias. So are you team math or are you team bio?
0: Mm, This is honestly kind of hard for me. I think I probably lean slightly more towards team math. Uh, At least math has always come easiest to me and I, I find it so useful and flexible because its applications are so broad i'm sure that like a career in math especially applied math would never be boring or irrelevant so even as i pursue a career in medicine hopefully there are many ways that i can combine the two in new and interesting ways that help people so i think i'd probably lean more team math but it's kind of hard to say
1: yeah it's it's a bit harsh so we should offer a third option which is both
0: both yes
1: definitely So coming back to the fact that today we're going to be discussing a research paper that you have been awarded the Lee A. Siegel Prize for. And for people who are not part of the Society for Mathematical Biology, this was an award for the best student paper as the leading author. And we have the article name as Designing Drug Regimens that Mitigate Non-Adherence. And that was published in the Bulletin of Mathematical Biology. So Firstly, congratulations. Um, And so tell us what it means to you to have won this award.
0: Yeah, I'm very greatly honored to have won this award. Honestly, I was happy to even be published in the first place, uh, let alone win an award for the paper, just because this was my first time researching. And I was pleasantly surprised that a paper like this was able to come out of mine in Professor Lawley's work and honestly, getting the award really just affirmed how important research is, and not only that, but how important student research is, and how it can really be an asset to the field. And, and so I was, I was very honored and like surprised with this award.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's still the case that most undergraduate students don't have research published necessarily in scientific articles. Yes. But yeah, let's get onto the material in the paper itself. So I got very excited by some of the terminology in here because I trained in pharmacology as an undergraduate Mm. and a PhD student. So some of these terms are very familiar to me. So people who don't know what pharmacology is, it's the study of how drugs affect our bodies. And for the listeners, uh, I know almost nothing about math bio. And so when I was reading through some of the terms, I felt a bit like that scene in uh, The Avengers where Captain America says, oh, I understood that reference. (laughs) (laughs) That lasted for about two minutes until I got to the methods section and I was suitably humbled. But um, (laughs) if you could tell us what is the question that this paper is trying to answer?
0: Yeah. So basically, our research had to do with the problem of patient non-adherence with prescriptions or dosing regimens. Basically, they're not taking their drugs like they're supposed to. It's well known that non-adherence is a big problem, but oftentimes like the average American doesn't understand how big of a problem non-adherence to medications is. So I'm going to just fire some statistics at you guys, hopefully to like really amp up the message that it's a big problem. Uh, in the U.S., it's estimated that non-adherence accounts for up to 25% of hospitalizations, 50% of treatment failures, and around 125,000 deaths per year. Even the World Health Organization has claimed that improving adherence may have a greater impact on public health than improvement to any specific medical treatment alone. So with this in mind, like the gravity of the situation, our paper essentially tries to take the problem, specifically non-adherence caused by forgetfulness, and find ways that one could improve treatment efficacy without necessarily changing the patient's forgetfulness per se. And yeah. so we, we kind of have like two ways that we do this and like two major questions that kind of shape our whole paper. For example, we specifically address the question of what a patient should do after they miss a dose of medication. This is a situation that probably most listeners are familiar with. Suppose you are to take a dose of medication every day, but you forget one day. Should you take one pill or two the next day when you realize? This is a pretty interesting question because it's so simple, but does not really have consensus within the medical field. So this is one of the questions that we were trying to answer with our paper. And then one of the other questions that we were trying to answer or one of the other ways that one could improve treatment efficacy without actually improving the patient's compliance was the following. We looked at how extended release or slow release drug formulations improve a medication's efficacy. Oftentimes, extended release drugs are prescribed in order to lengthen the dosing interval and thus improve the odds of a patient adhering to their medications. For instance, it's much easier to remember to take a pill once a day rather than twice. And so interestingly, we found that extended release or slow release formulations may have intrinsic benefits for treatment efficacy, even if the patients did not improve their adherence.
1: Okay. So I'm just thinking, maybe people are more familiar with the term efficacy now, having heard it probably a bazillion times during the pandemic. But can you just explain what efficacy is? And I mean, I guess the extended release formula is pretty intuitive in the slow release So efficacy,
0: like drug efficacy, is just talking about how well a drug actually works in your body. And so when we're talking about increasing drug efficacy, that means we want to improve the odds of the drug actually working. And -hmm. in order to do that, you want to have your drug concentration at like this optimal range. And then you want the least variance from like the trough of the drug concentration to the peak. And so drug efficacy is like the highest when those variables are controlled like that.
1: Okay. So essentially we're talking about where the drug is the most effective kind of within mm-hmm. its range of being able to do something. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So this, you know, this sounds like an incredibly relatable topic. And as you say that most of us will take medication at some point in our lives. And while the intro was like, that was great for connecting us to the subject, but as I mentioned earlier, it was when I got to the, the methods section, and I saw reams of equations, that <laughs> <laughs> I felt a little bit more out of my depth, and actually one of my friends put put it to us earlier, he is a, a middle school science teacher, and he said, I think the thing we need to remember is when we look at those equations, usually each one of those symbols just represents a real life thing, right, so it might be Representing the amount of the drug that you use, or, you know, depending on the equation, like temperature or something standard like that. So we shouldn't be put off by looking at these symbols, right? Mm,
0: Yeah, definitely. I think, like, especially with ours, there's definitely just a few major symbols that, like, kind of permeate the whole paper. And then I I would agree there's some pretty complicated math in there, but overall, you're right. There's only a few variables that we're really working with, which probably are just like the percent adherence. So like how often does a patient take their medication?
1: Yeah. And so
0: we, we name that variable P for percent, I think. And then another one would be like the drug absorption rate. So that's important for like slow release or quick release drugs, the absorption rate will differ. And then also the drug elimination rate. And so those are probably like your three major variables that we kind of manipulate throughout the whole thing.
1: Okay, and so that's probably a good primer for the next question, which is, can you briefly describe the methods that you used? So, for example, patient data, who were those patients, and kind of what did you do in terms of accounting for missed doses or the doses that they took?
0: Yeah, so we actually didn't work with real patients, so most of our stuff is just these equations that replicate patient non adherence So like in our paper, we used well-established mathematical models for drug concentration in the body. Okay. These models take the form of ordinary differential equations. And basically they're called pharmacokinetic models because they describe like the kinetics or the incoming and outcoming of a drug in yep. a body. And so basically the model that we used had a single compartment representing the body with an elimination and absorption rate for the drug. So a persistent challenge in mathematical biology is constructing appropriate mathematical models and especially finding parameter values that fit in your model well. But because we were using existing pharmacokinetic models, which are very well studied, we were essentially able to circumvent this issue, which is really cool. And our approach essentially takes this existing pharmacokinetic model and then subjects the models to stochastic or random drug inputs, which mimics the irregular drug intake. That is, we model adherence with a stochastic or random process. This is a reasonable assumption because patients don't necessarily miss doses in predictable patterns, not every third day, for instance. So if we were just gonna use that variable P, for instance, and it was like 0.8, meaning they forget 20% of the time, it's not like they forget two days in a row every 10 day period. It's more random than that, yeah.
1: Yeah, if they were missing it that frequently, they would probably take it that frequently,
0: right? Yes, exactly, yeah.
1: So if I understand correctly, essentially you looked at the kind of existing research and you used that information, other people's models to help inform the models that you created then.
0: Yeah, I mean, so basically we take these pharmacokinetic models, which are not stochastic, stochastic is like the math term for random Mm -hmm. and then we like apply a stochastic or random drug input to these models and so it it really changes them that's like the new part is the stochastic part and it really changes the results
1: okay okay so what were the results what did you find
0: yeah there's quite a few results but i tried to narrow them down Uh uh, just to a few major ones In our paper, we were able to determine when a patient should or should not take a double dose after a missed dose of medication. So we found that taking a double dose after a missed dose is generally preferable to merely skipping a missed dose, which is quite interesting. And this is true in most cases, except when the absorption and elimination rates are both fast relative to the dosing interval this is very interesting because there's not consensus within the medical community on this issue. And basically drug half-lives are sometimes cited as the reason why we shouldn't take two doses. And then other times the same drug half-lives, like long ones, are the same reason why we should take two doses. And so like people are all over the place. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of cool to bring in the math part to this question. Another result that we found was that extended release formulations of the same drug always have less concentration variability than their immediate release counterparts, if dosed at the same frequency. So this would imply that extended release formulations decrease drug-related variability, even if they are not used in the typical way of patient non-adherence mitigation. And what I mean by that is like, in general, extended release formulations are often prescribed so that a patient has to remember less often to take their medications, uh, meaning like they're more likely to remember. But our work shows that the XR formulation of a drug is advantageous, even if the dosing interval is not lengthened to help improve a patient's odds of remembering their medication. And that's kind of like two of our major ones. And then finally, we were able to quantify drug level statistics precisely for a given patient's adherence, meaning that if we knew the drug and a patient's odds of remembering to take their medication, we could determine the long-term average concentration of the drug in the body, the variability of drug concentration in their body, et cetera. And this is a great tool for medical or pharmaceutical practitioners to take into consideration as they work with patients.
1: Okay. So from a very practical standpoint, can you give us an example of a patient who may have missed a dose for either a flow-release drug or a rapid-release drug? And can you imagine what it might look like in real life for them?
0: Yeah. So like if a patient were to miss one of these slow-release drugs, instead of missing one of these quick-release drugs, it would basically be better for them if it was an extended release drug, because the variability in the drug concentration wouldn't spike and drop as fast. And so like what we're suggesting is for this patient to have like the best outcomes with their medications Mm -hmm. and the the medication to work is that hopefully they're on an extended release version if that's available for a certain drug. So like, for instance, we looked at the drug Quetiapine fumarate, I may have botched the name, but the brand (laughs) name is Seroquel, and it's a commonly used antipsychotic. And so for this drug, it has a better long-term concentration and less concentration variability for the extended release drug once daily, even if the immediate release drug or the quick release drugs are dosed twice a day. So that's very interesting. So like, even if the person is missing let's say they're missing a crazy amount like half their doses Mm. the xr or the the extended release drug will perform better even if it's like once a day which is kind of crazy yeah
1: yeah and so essentially by by talking about the concentration variability you're talking about the levels that are available within the body to do the thing that they need to do right
0: yeah exactly
1: okay so Being married to a math biologist for many years, I know one of the challenges for him as somebody who's on the math side is trying to convince biologists that the work is important, necessary, that they should be included in the process, right? So can you tell us why, in this case, the other side being a biologist, uh, why would they read this paper and how would you try and convince them that it's it's important to their research if they're in the same field?
0: Yeah, I think ethics is a really big reason, specifically for medical and medication non-adherence. This kind of mathematical research is essential to study the parts of medicine or biology that would be unethical to study otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, It would be unethical to request a patient to miss a certain percentage of doses. And so I think that's one big reason. I think forgetfulness is really hard to study yeah. Um, it's hard to study non adherence patients forget, but they also forget when they forgot. <laughs> if you understand what I mean. <laughs> yeah. And so it's really difficult to study how often people are actually missing their meds. And then also to like record concentrations of the drug in the body like continuously. That's like basically impossible. Mm-hmm. Um it's also kind of hard because we know like societal factors impact adherence so like white coat adherence is a term that's been coined where patients tend to take their medications best right after a doctor's appointment or right before a doctor's appointment and so if we were trying to supervise these patients we know that our data would likely be messed up in terms of non-adherence because they don't actually act that way in real life and then like probably the last reason that i would like plead to the biologists would be there are so many parameters, even in our relatively simple model, that would be difficult to test in a human population, but are actually quite easy to manipulate in a mathematical model. Mm-hmm. And so it would be quite difficult to vary the elimination rate, the absorption rate, dosing interval and dosing regimens, and determine individual contribution to drug efficacy if you're trying to do that in like a clinical trial. Mm-hmm. But as a mathematical model, it works great.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, that is super interesting. And I would definitely be convinced. Uh, it's not my field, though. Yeah. So thank you so much for your explanations and for sharing today. But before we let you go, we have a couple of quick fire questions so people can get to know the Eli behind the scientist, right? So what is the last music track you listen to?
0: Um, I think the last one I listened to was probably like a single by this artist named Isha. And basically her song is called Two Dimensions. Uh, I learned it on my guitar too, but I'm really a fan of like the acoustic pop kind of genre. Yeah.
1: That sounds like an apt title for a math biologist. (laughs) (laughs) All right, another one. Where will you be traveling to next?
0: I'm actually going on a trip in like three weeks to southeast asia so i'm going Mm -hmm. to vietnam and thailand so i'm super pumped about that
1: that is very exciting yeah and this one again we've given you a binary option here which is probably very unfair but tea (laughs) or coffee
0: uh i think i'm tea actually this is pretty easy for me i especially like boba milk tea and so i think i'm definitely team tea but I won't refuse a coffee
1: (laughs) are you living (laughs) up to the stereotype of your generation with the boba tea Uh, uh, (laughs) maybe (laughs) (laughs) Uh, in any case well i mean enjoy your travels and again thank you so much for your time today we really appreciate it
0: yeah thank you it was a pleasure
1: You've been listening to Biology in Numbers, a podcast from the Society for Mathematical Biology and produced by me, Pamve Bahia, at Art of Science Media. You can learn more about SMB on their website, smb.org, and via social media on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Find links to all of these and some for today's guest in the episode show notes. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, and very likely your favorite podcast platform. So, show us some love by making sure you review and subscribe. And that was published in the Bulletin and Math. (laughs) 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 Um, And that was published in the (laughs) Bulletin.
0: Oh, it's a tongue twister
1: it, it really is um okay <laughs> <laughs> no I can't stop